Welcome to First Presbyterian Church in North Palm Beach, Florida. We exist to help people pursue and share gospel-driven lives. We hope whether you're investigating faith, a seasoned follower of Jesus, and anywhere in between, this podcast helps you connect with Jesus. Oh Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise. We pray this now together through Christ. Amen. Friends, listen, if you would now, to the book that we love from Genesis 4. Now the man knew his wife, Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've produced a man with the help of the Lord. Next, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, for his part, brought of the firstlings of his flock their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out into the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother, Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Today you have driven me from the soil and I shall be hidden from your face. I will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever meets me may kill me. Then the Lord said to Cain, not so. Whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. And the Lord put a mark upon Cain, so that no one who came upon him would kill him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of my very favorite novels takes its title from the selection of scripture that we heard together. I'm referring, of course, to John Steinbeck's magnum opus, East of Eden. 
one of the great American, American novels. It tells the story, if you're not familiar, of a character named Adam Trask and his family. It is set against California's Salinas Valley. And one of the, one of the motifs of that novel if you've read it, you've no doubt noticed that through the course of the story, Steinbeck weaves in all sorts of allusions to the story of Cain and Abel. And so many of the pairs of characters, brothers and husbands and wives in the story, through the generations of the Trask family, are named C and A names. Adam is the main, is the main character, and the story begins by telling the story of him and his brother, whose name is Charles. Charles, Adam's brother, is a farmer. The story begins as their children, when their father rejects a gift that Charles gives to him, and Charles, in a rage, attacks his brother Adam and nearly kills him. There's a point early in the story in which Charles is trying to move a boulder and has an accident, and he receives a dark scar on on his forehead. The woman that Adam goes on to marry who becomes the main murderous villain in the plotline of the story is a woman named Kathy, a woman whose name starts with C. And there's a particular juncture in the story in which Adam Trask, together with members of his family and a friend of theirs, who's a Chinese man named Lee, are talking about the story of Cain and Abel together as they sit at dinner one evening. And as they're talking together, Lee tells the Trask family that he's become so fascinated with this story that he's talked about this story in turn with several of the elder members of his own family and community. And I want you to listen to what Lee says about the story of Cain and Abel. He says, these old men in my family who he had been talking with, they believe a true story and they know a true story when they hear it. They know that these 16 verses are a history of mankind in any age or culture or race. You know, I think that that's true. In many ways, this story of Cain and Abel, this is our entire history. If you're... If you're reading the story of Cain and Abel and listening to the earlier moments of the biblical story that we've been exploring, you no doubt have noticed a lot of echoes between these stories. That's intentional in the way this story is written. Once again, humanity is given a choice here by God. Once again, they they disregard a concerned warning from the Almighty. Once again, there's a bond ruptured between God and people and the world. To steal a line from the old song by Shirley Bassey, this story is a little bit of history repeating. And the point of this story is that it is just that. This is, on the one hand, a primeval story. That's one of the oldest stories that we have. It's as old as humanity. And on the other hand, this little piece of history, it repeats every day in world events, in your office, and in your family, and your relationships. The story of Cain and Abel, it unfolds every single day. I was reminded of this just reading the news a few weeks ago. 
I remember reading an article in the Washington Post in February before Russia invaded the Ukraine, which was covering a speech that Vladimir Putin had made that was a pretext for his looming military aggression. And in the speech, he, he talks about, in, in his own view, the, uh, the quote-unquote historical unity that he claimed between Russia and the Ukraine that he was using as pretext for, for his looming military actions. And then the article quoted the president of the Ukraine, Vladimir uh, Zelensky, who said in, in response to this, to this piece of propaganda, he said, our two countries' fraternal relations are more like Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel is our whole story. So I want to invite you to listen for a few moments together with me to this little bit of history repeating so that by God's grace it doesn't repeat in your own life. The story begins as the man and woman have a child. And as they do, Eve breaks into song. I've produced a man with the help of the Lord. I've got a man. I've got a man. Thank God Almighty, I've got a man. And then we're told, next she had Abel. No songs, no celebrating at Abel's birth. There are a few well-placed details in the spare narration of this story that help us understand the looming murder that takes place. The first is simply in their names itself. The name Cain, in the name that, in the, in the language this part of the Bible was written in, it's the word kana, and it means to get or to create. They named their eldest son something like the go-getter. Abel's name, on the other hand, means vapor or nothingness. The implication here is clear. The man and the woman, they had a somebody and they had a nobody. So we can surmise that from boyhood, this would have been Cain's sense of himself. I am a somebody. And above all, I am better than my nobody little brother. So then comes this faithful day in which the primeval human family goes to worship together. Abel comes and he offers, we're told, his very best to God. We can see in Abel's offering that God is the object of Abel's offering, his faith, his worship. But by contrast, Cain just brings something. We can see as we watch the contrast in what these two brothers bring together to worship that God is not the center of Cain's world. Cain is the center of Cain's world. The picture that's filled in in these details is that Cain's identity is one that's based on the weakness of another. And what I want you to see is that this is where sin begins to sneak and lurk in his life. Not just in the headline-making violent acts. Sin begins to lurk in the dark recesses of our lives when you and I build our lives, build our sense of ourselves, build our identities on someone or something outside of the God that we're made for. And inevitably, this story shows us our lives begin to unravel when what is most central and important to who you are is, I am, I am a great mother, I am a successful banker, I'm the best in my field, or whatever else 
you place at the center of your life because inevitably that will always come to get threatened by somebody or something. It's inherently unstable. There's a character in Shakespeare's play Othello named Iago, who's the villain in the, in the play and becomes Othello's eventual murderer. And he has this kind of relationship with Othello. There's a point in the play in which he says about Othello who he would wind up coming to kill. He says, Othello hath a daily beauty in his life that makes me ugly. See, as Cain's offering is rejected, his ugly comes out. He stops seeing a brother. The biblical narrator wants us to see this. Every time that it tells us the name Abel in the story, Abel is, Abel is described as brother Abel, his brother Abel. What does God say to Cain when he comes to him? Where is your brother Abel? But Cain has stopped seeing a brother and now only sees a threat. And so God comes in grave concern to Cain. I want to pause here and invite you to notice this, especially if you're somebody for whom you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you're here with a friend, or you've been away from faith or church for a long time. Because I know, I know oftentimes a perception that, that many of us carry around, if that's, if that's you, about Christian faith is, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued or, or really like the things that, that Jesus says and is about, you know, the love, forgiveness, stuff like that. But I don't so much care for the, for the God of the Old Testament, all the, all the smiting and that kind of thing. So if that's you, this is, I want you to, I want you to look a little longer at the picture of God that we have here. God does not respond to Cain by simply hurling lightning bolts from the skies. I remember seeing a cartoon in the New Yorker some time ago in which someone was arriving at the pearly gates of heaven and the angel that was, that was there at the gates in charge of check-in says to the person, oh, I'm sorry, this is really bad timing. He's in one of his Old Testament moods right now. That's actually not the picture that we have in the scriptures themselves. God's first response to Cain here is not to hurl lightning bolts from the heavens, but to come and plead with Cain in grave concern for him, for a human being whom he loves. But Cain, Cain turns a deaf ear to God, invites his brother out into the field, and then in a field that he and Abel had perhaps played in as children, he cuts down his brother. The problem that he has is the same one that the murderer in Edgar Allan Poe's story, The Telltale Heart, has. He can't get the murder to be over. The blood of Cain's slain brother keeps crying out, and God hears it from high heaven. Now, if you're like me... And you've, you've read this story a number of times and you're familiar with it and you've heard it in church over the years and things like that. It's easy to keep this story at a distance and to, and to say to yourself as we think about it together, listen, I would never do the kind of thing that Cain does here. And if, and if that's you, if you're, if you're like me and that's how you respond to this story instinctually, what I want you to see is that there, there was a day where Cain would have said that as well too. This story shows us that sin always begins with a subtle lurking. This murder didn't start 
when Cain cut down his brother out in a field. It started when he listened to the lurking darkness in his own heart and cut down his brother there. In verse 7, as God comes to Cain, he says, he says if, if you don't listen, sin is lurking at the door. That word's used elsewhere in the prophet Jeremiah to picture a lion waiting to ambush their prey. And so as we think about this story, maybe, maybe one helpful question to consider yourself is, what is lurking at your door? What's lurking under the waterline when you catch yourself saying, you know, I'm, not, I'm not being manipulative and the people that I work with, I'm just the far better candidate for this promotion. What's really lurking when, when you say, you know, I'm, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to ruin her social life. She just really needs to, our friends just really need to know what kind of person she really is. What, what is lurking when you catch yourself saying things like, I'm not, I'm not trying to crush this guy. He, just, he needs to know what he did. This story, uh, it, it shows us in unvarnished terms how sin really works. We, uh, we give permission to the lurking darkness in the recesses of our lives. We nurse the darkness. We do sin, and then sin does us. God, in response, he both bans and blesses Cain. He both, he both acts against his guilt and he offers Cain grace. And ironically, Cain protests. Cain doesn't want God, but he doesn't want to be without God. Cain doesn't want to go to the land of Nod because God's not there. Nod is a place filled with killers, people like him. Cain makes the same discovery that all of us do sooner or later, that we need the God that we often enough don't really want around. So God makes Cain a marked man in a life-saving way. He steps in to protect a man who wouldn't protect his own brother. And in so doing, God cuts the loop of violence and revenge. And as we continue to live that story over and over and over again, from, from the immense scale of world events to the minute scale of our own families and our own circles of friendships and relationships, we need God to do what God does here, to step in and intervene. Uh, this is what we need, living this same murderous cycle of older brother attacking and younger brother victimizing. We, what we need is a better brother. And this is just what God gives us. As we watch the saga of God's work in the world unfold in the scriptures, we see that God comes among us in person in Jesus of Nazareth to intervene and cut this loop once and for all. And that in coming among us in Jesus, God gives us the better brother that we need. God takes up the stuff of a human life that is truly innocent. And Jesus gives his life, his blood to be spilled on the ground on a cross outside the city of Jerusalem to once and for all identify with victims like Abel and rescue and forgive blood spillers like Cain and to forgive people like you and I who have a little bit of both inside of us all at the same time. 
the spilled blood of Jesus for us on the cross, we're told by the author of the book of Hebrews, speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. I love how the author and Presbyterian minister Tim Keller puts this. He says, Jesus is the true and better Abel, who though innocently slain, has blood that cries out for our acquittal, not our condemnation. You see, at the cross, God once and for all identifies completely with victims like Abel, and once and for all graces and rescues blood spillers like Cain, and does so for all of us who have both in us at the same time. If you're like me and you, you listen to this story, you tend to identify, depending on what your own life's journey has been, with one or the other of these characters. If you've been somebody who has been a victim of the, the hatred or, or wrongdoing, the attack of another, the good news of Jesus is that God hears, is that you're not forgotten, that in, in the cross of Jesus, God has actually identified, has identified in complete terms with the suffering of injustice. And the good news, if, if you're somebody that when you look in the mirror, you see a little bit of Cain in yourself, is that if you're somebody who's, who's got, like me, blood on your hands in some way or another, that God, God has in Jesus spilled his own blood to rid you of the guilt that you bear. Has marked you, not with condemnation, but with grace. So, friends, I pray that the story of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, our better brother, will come to shape your life so that this story does not become in you a little bit of history repeating. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us at FPC. For more info and to connect with us, check out www.firstpresnpb.org.